Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. Good morning, everybody. Always good to be here with you. It's a privilege for me to stand before you here today to share with you God's Word. We're going to continue through the book of Colossians. We're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to go through verses. I'm going to read verses 15 to 20, but we're just going to go over verses 15, 16, 17 for time purposes. So I'm going to read first if you want to follow along. And if you have an ESV Bible, the heading might be something like the preeminence of Christ. Starting in verse 15, Paul writes, He, meaning Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word this morning. Father, once again, we're asking, what, is, what does this have to do with us today? We're hearing a language in there that seems a little weird. I don't really understand. It was written 2,000 years ago by a man in prison in a time when wheels were made out of stone and the fastest thing they could jump on was a donkey. And here we are today, we could talk to somebody on the other side of the world with a smartphone in about five seconds. Does it really does it really hold that much importance for us today? Satan would think not, but you think so. So help us, Holy Spirit. If any one of us comes in here this morning with a blockage to our minds, remove that so we can learn and receive. And Lord, as always, I ask that you would forgive the one who preaches. He's a sinner in just as much need of grace as anyone else here in this church today or anywhere else in the world for that matter. We thank you in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. amen. So I remember growing up as a kid in the Bronx, me and my friends would always try to figure out creative things to do, but somehow or another they always revolved around things of mischief. Every time we did something, we seemed to get in trouble. But a couple of days a week, we'd go down to this abandoned train yard. And uh, in this abandoned train yard, there was no security, which we loved. There was a fence that was rotted out, holes in it. There was holes cut in it, so we were able to sneak in. And there were all sorts of, like, just abandoned train cars and uh, train cranes. So we would get in there, and we would just sit in there, and we'd just play with the levers and things like that. It was just something to do. After a while, that got a little boring, so we figured out... Let's see who can throw rocks from a distance to break the windshields. Now, some of them were broken already, so it's not as if I was adding any insult to injury. But what we were doing was wrong. And I remember we were doing that a few times a week, and it was fun. And I remember one afternoon after leaving the train yard, I was walking on my way home. 
And uh, I usually had to be home by 5 o'clock. And I, I would tell all my friends it was always because my mother was coming home. And it was, but it was also to watch a Little House on a Prairie. But, right, right, but, right, hope that's not recorded, but, right, so I'm walking up the block, right, and I see two police officers sitting in front of my house, leaning up against the car, right, and just you see the guys in blue, right, all of a sudden, your heart takes another extra, just an extra beat or it misses one, so I'm walking up, and as I'm getting close, I'm about two or three houses away, and all of a sudden, I hear the one police officer tell the other one, this is him, this is him, this looks like him, I think we got the guy, I know nobody's behind me. I'm in freak out mode, right? Because I'm thinking, they know it was me. I broke the windows. They know it's me. And I, I, I can't imagine what's going to happen to me. As I'm getting closer, the police officer keeps going, yep, that's you. Look, it got guilty written all over your face. And I'm just walking up. I couldn't even speak. The life was taken out of me. And he's questioning me. And then he tells the other police officer, you think we should just get him down to the police station? Or you think we should ask him a few more questions first? I'm melted like a pot of wax, right? I'm just sitting there. And he goes, ah, get out of here, kid. We're just playing with you. <laughs> I, I, Little House on the Prairie, I ran to the bathroom. I was in there for the next 15 minutes, right? That's where I was. One other quick story I hear. There was a story about a man who was living on a block, some expensive homes, and there was a house down the block that he wanted to rob. He was waiting for the perfect opportunity for the family to be gone so he can go in and take what he wanted. He knew they had money and nice things, and he wanted what they had. He waits for the perfect opportunity. He able, he sneaks into the house. He's walking in the dark, and as he's walking through the rooms, he all of a sudden hears a voice saying, Jesus sees you. He thought that was weird. He takes another two steps. He hears it again. Jesus sees you. He pulls out a flashlight. He shines in the direction to see it's a talking parrot in a cage. He's overwhelmed with relief. And then he hears a sound. And right next to the cage, he sees a snarling bulldog growling at him. And the parrot looks down and says, Jesus, attack him now. Here's the question. Thank you, Anthony. Here's the question. What, what Jesus are you following? It's an important question for each and every one of us. We have to wonder, are we following the friendly Jesus where he's our BFF and he's okay with everything that we do, even though that we do things to violate God's rules and regulations? And yet we're still doing those thinking that, okay, God's, Jesus is going to be okay with that because we're, we're best friends or are you following the bossy Jesus where you're aggravated and um, you're annoyed at the fact that he's giving you a whole bunch of rules and regulations and you're trying to follow these every day and you're not and it's causing an uprising inside of you and you just look at Jesus as this bossy guy. Or are we, looking, are we following the bad and angry judge Jesus where he's slamming down the gavel on you all the time thinking, uh, or you think he's saying that you're not good enough and condemning you to death, thinking that your sins are never going to be forgiven. Bad judge Jesus, is that the one? And the truth is that every one of us, every day of our lives, have to make a choice as to what Jesus we're going to follow. Is it going to be the real one or a made-up one? And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to address with this church. 
Several weeks ago, we went through verses 1 to 8 when Paul was congratulating the church on their love and their affection for other people. Verses 9 to 14, Paul is praying to God that the church, as well as us, we're part of that church, that we would receive a spiritual understanding so that we would gain a wisdom from God. So that in verse 10, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the calling that he has called us to. And then we see right here in verse 15 where Paul addresses the false teachers, because that's what's here. We have a set of false teachers that are trying to cause the church to believe in a bunch of fake news. And the fake news is that the Jesus you're serving can't save you. He can't do anything. He's made of flesh and bone. He's not the God. He's not the creator of the universe. Don't follow that. Follow our ways. And Paul knows that he needs to address this church, and hence the fact that he writes this letter to the church to address the fake news that they are receiving. So he attacks this false teaching right off the bat in verse 15b, 15a, when he says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, a couple things come to mind when they hear the word image. The Greek word for this is econ. doesn't matter. I'm not a, Gre- I'm not a, I'm not a Greek major. Neither are most of you. Maybe one or two of you are. But he uses the word image in a way because it's reminding the people of this town of something. See, when, when their sons would go off to war, some of them would have someone else draw a photo of them on a piece of papyrus or something like this, and they would send it back to mom and dad. So mom and dad would have something to look at while their child was absent from them. and It would soothe their souls. It would give them a sense of relief. And what Paul is saying is that Christ, the one in which you've seen with your own eyes, he is the image of the invisible God. Now, let's think of the mindset of both the Jew and the Gentile back then for the most part, specifically the Jew. They heard the stories. They heard the stories from their ancestors, especially sitting around all those Passover dinners, and they would hear the stories about how God interacted with people, began with Moses seeing God through the burning bush. Right? So they're seeing a power from God. They would see and hear about the stories of how God magnified his power and showed it off when he would send all these plagues in so that he would free his people from Egypt. They knew that God was not someone to mess with, especially when it came in terms of the Ark of the Covenant, when God gave the command, don't you dare look at that thing. If you do, you're going to die. And people tested the waters. They heard the stories about men and women who would go and begin, and they would look at the ark, and God would cause them to die instantaneously. Another story we heard about that comes to my mind right now is, I believe it's 2 Samuel chapter 6, when uh, David had just brought the ark back after conquering Jerusalem. He brings the ark back, right? He has it back. Israel has it back in their possession. And there's singing and dancing going on, and the oxen are carrying the ark, mistake number one, because there was rules and regulations. It was not to be carried by an animal. It was to be carried by a Levite. So the, the, the cattle were carrying it. And when it went to go fell, Uriah goes down to grab it so it doesn't touch the ground, and Uriah is instantaneously killed. In that moment, you're thinking, who is this God that we're serving? I'm, we're hearing that he loves us, but this is really weird to me. I don't get this, because Uriah was a righteous man. But when God is saying, when I tell you 55 miles an hour, God says, I mean 55. 
Because 54.999 will not work, and neither will 55.00001. When I say 55, God says, I mean 55. And so this is what Paul is telling. He said, this is the image. The, the God that you heard about, the one that you've heard about from your ancestors, with all that majesty and all that power, this is him. He's come in the flesh. Your eyes have seen him now, and you were able to touch him. So now the Israelites, as, the, as well as the Gentiles, are now being able to see that, wow, this God of the Old Testament has revealed himself in such a way that we can see him and we can talk to him. So now the Israelites, the church at Colossae, is beginning to experience a different type, a new love, a love that you can actually see, you can taste, and you can touch. And it's blowing their minds. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 states this. That he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Second one, John chapter 1 verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now I love going up to the Adirondacks. I love going up to the mountains. Like I said to you last week, I mean, we catch giant fish, right? Giant ones, right? But as much as I love being up in the mountains, nature can only tell me about the existence of God. It can tell me about the power of God, the wisdom of God in creation. But it can never tell me about the essence. So as Paul is saying that the image of God was not just something visual, it was a character trait about God that you were actually going to be able to see and touch and hear with your own ears. And these people's minds were being rocked because they were going to see love in a totally different form, something that they've never seen before. The way Jesus loved, again, when Paul uses the word image, He's not talking about just a visual aspect, but he's talking about the character of God. And what he was revealing is that when Christ came and loved in the ways that he loved, people got a new sense of who he was, and their worlds were rocked because of it. And even though Israel would be so disobedient throughout time, they would be over and over and over disobedient to what God was telling them, and God would continually show his favoritism. He would continually show his love and his forgiveness to them. And now they see Jesus on the scene. Again, they could only expect, they could only understand so much of the God of the Old Testament. But when Christ comes walking into the scene, man, the world has opened up now. Two examples I use about the love of Jesus. From John chapter 8, Jesus is hanging out with his boys. And the Pharisees and the, Sarise, the, Fadge, Pharisees and the Sadducees come walking up to Jesus. And every one of them have got a boulder in their hand. And they're dragging a woman with them. And they say, here, Jesus, we remember you saying something. You remember saying that we want to remind you that, uh, hey, by the way, you said that you didn't come to abolish the law. You came to fulfill it. So, hey, we have this woman. She's been caught in adultery. And the law of Moses says that she should be stoned to death. So what do you want to do, Jesus? You want to take my stone or you want to go pick one up on your own? What are you going to do? What does Jesus do? He sits on the ground and he starts to write with his finger in the ground. And he says... For he who was, the first one, for he who was without sin cast the first stone. And one by one they left until the only two people that were left were Jesus and this woman. 
And he asked her, where are your accusers? Where they go? Is there anyone here left? She said, no, my Lord, no one's left. There's no one here to condemn me. And Jesus says, neither do I. But when you leave here, don't do that anymore. Real news. Second one is from Luke chapter 23. Jesus is on the cross. He's got two thieves next to him. And these two thieves, one is mocking him. Come on, Jesus, you can get me off this cross. You got that power. You could do it. He wasn't lying. Jesus could. And the other thief turns around and says, Jesus, we belong here. I know that. But do you think that there's any chance that on a day like today that here we are, that you would remember someone like me when you get into your kingdom? Do you think that you would do that for me? Would you remember me? And Jesus said, today, today you will be with me in paradise. Paul continually teached that Christ is supreme in all things. He's the creator of the universe. But what does that teach us about us too? We see that about the character of Jesus, but we can't just look at that and go, all right, well, that's good for Jesus. I'm reading the stories, I'm reading my Bible, that's him. And we will never be him. I get that. But Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 states that we were made in the image of God. And if we were created in his image, that means we have the responsibility of bearing the image of Christ, especially as one who has been called as a son or a daughter of the Most High. We were adopted into his family, so we've been given the responsibility to be a Christ bearer. That means we've now been given the responsibility of loving unconditionally. And that is not an easy thing to do, is it? To love someone as much as you love yourself. If we can be honest, me included, I know that we do things to love other people. And as the more we walk with Christ, I'm praying and hoping the more that we do of that. But if we can be honest, because I'm going to be honest with you, there's a lot of times inside of me, the smallest motive, it may only be the size of a grain of sand or the size of a boulder, but always inside of me something, there's always a self-righteous motive to do something. Or there's always, right, something, let me, let me do something for myself. Even if I'm going to do something for you, I'm going to help you with something, but it's going to make me feel better. Right? Christ laying down his life was just giving up everything to bring God glory and for salvation for people like you and me. There wasn't, oh, I'm going to feel better about it later. Christ knew why he was doing it, and he was doing it for the joy that was set before him. But to love others unconditionally... Not so easy, is it? Paul, in verse 15b, enlightens the church that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Again, he has to attack the false teachers because they are saying that Christ was not eternal, that he, was, he came into the world at a specific time. On Wednesday nights at our fire pit, I've been screaming out a word to everybody that they've, been learning, that they've been hearing. And I want to know if D knows the word. Say it louder. Prototokos. Here's a word that Paul uses to describe that it's not in terms of time in a calendar or year of the importance of who Christ is or a child. Firstborn is referring to status. Just the way we get an example from Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, when God says, my chosen Israel, you, you are my firstborn. Now, they weren't the first ones here, 
But God was saying, I love you. I love you more than anyone else on this planet. And that's a reality that we have to face. Because some of that's a weird thing, right? Well, doesn't, doesn't God love everyone equally? It's a different topic for a different day. Or the other, the other story that we hear is that, well, didn't, you know, isn't everyone in the world a child of God? The only thing I can share with you is what John chapter 8 says. And Jesus told the Pharisees that your father is not God, your father is the devil. So use what you're going to use, what Jesus said, and figure that out one later on this afternoon when we're eating some chicken off the grill. Amen? Okay. Christ holds all things by the power of his spoken word. Verses 16 and 17 Again, the Apostle Paul is telling the church that all things are held together by Jesus. He's the creator of all things. Again, a false teaching that came in about, no, Christ, is, Christ was created. He's not, he's not eternal. Um, again, that's one of the Bible verses uh, that the Jehovah Witnesses will come and knock on your door. That's the one that got me tripped up years ago. That's the, that's the, that's the one that made me cause to want to study. What does this mean? Because I didn't know. And I, I believe it. Because at first, when you, look at that, when you look at that verse, it says that he was the firstborn among, among all creation. At first glance, it looks like it looks like Jesus was the first person created. But we have to understand the context. And that's what those cults fail to do. They don't, they don't look at the entire context. Not just the context from the book of Colossians, but the, the entire context of every, of every revelation in the New Testament that claims that Christ is nothing less than eternal and holds everything by the power of a spoken word effortlessly. My daughter loves math. And she loves uh, taking pictures of sunsets, sunrises, uh, stars. She loves things like that. And we have some conversations. And you know, we're having conversations that when we think about the existence of God and we think about really how small we are, I, I think that the Hubble telescope as well as the James Webb telescope, if I'm saying that right, I think we believe that there's somewhere around 200 billion galaxies at least and with 200 billion stars in each galaxy. All right, now some of us, that may, be a little, it may hurt your mind a little bit. Maybe we can't comprehend that. Let's do something different. Let's break it down a little bit to when we look at the earth in which we live in, which is pretty big. It's really big when I have to go run and jog to lose some weight after all the chocolate chip cookies I've been eating, and a quarter of a mile feels eternal. Right? So the earth feels really big in those moments. We could take 1.3 million earths and fit it into the sun in which keeps us warm on this very day. 1.3 million Earths can fit into that sun. Impressive? Not impressive? Look at it this way. My daughter asked me, Dad, you know how many a million seconds equates to? Um, no. She said, a million seconds is 11 days. All right. I'm not that impressed. She says, do you know the difference between a million and a billion? Uh, yeah, a couple zeros. She says... Well, the million seconds is 11 days, but a billion seconds is 31 years. All right, that got a little more impressive. She said, you know the difference between a billion and a trillion? She said, the billion is 31 years. A trillion is 37,000 years. All right, 
One million seconds, 11 days. One billion seconds is 31 years. A a trillion seconds is 37,000 years. I'm going to use this illustration, and I want you to try to remember this as best your ability. I'm going to, have anybody has ever heard of the star Canis Majoris? It's out there. It's, It's one, which by the way, God claims that he has every star named. You ever meet somebody in church, and you ask them their name, and 10 minutes later, you're going, oh, I forgot it. Feels so weird. Then you try to get somebody else. Oh, this is my friend. This is my friend, Susan. Introduce yourself. Tell your name. Right? If you ever see me do that, I apologize in advance. Amen? Let's take the earth in which we live in, and let's reduce it down to the size of a golf ball. And I want you to we're taking that star, Canis Majoris, and we're also reducing it in retrospect to this, to the golf ball. Louis Giglio, if you haven't heard of him, go look him up on YouTube. He's phenomenal. I love him. He loves, um, uh, he's a Christian, strong in his faith, and he loves science. He loves creation. And this was years ago. I went to a Michael W. Smith concert. It feels like 100 years ago. He did an illustration. And when he used this, it blew my mind. He said, you're taking the earth and you reduce it down to the size of a golf ball. This is going to tell us how many earths we can fit into that one star. Which, by the way, we have at least 200 billion stars in 200 billion different galaxies that we know of or we believe. He says, you can take this golf ball and when you try to, when you fit that many earths into Canis Majoris, It's over 11 trillion golf balls. So you can't comprehend that number, neither can I. So I'm going to give you a visual of what that looks like. If you took a bunch of golf balls, right here, a little basket of golf balls, and we put them on the floor, and we put them as tight as we can together, we'd have to do that across the entire state of Texas two feet deep. Do you think God has got your life in control? Do you think that we can trust Jesus to do everything he said he would do? I know that your life, my life, I know it's not easy when we get news. When we get news that you've lost a loved one or you have cancer or a spouse comes home and says, hey, I, I, I'm not doing this no more. I want a divorce. Or you get to your job and they say, you're not performing. I think we're going to replace you. Those things can be so heavy on the heart. And we're human. We are made of flesh and bone. And we're an emotional people. And things happen to us. But this is where we've got to rely on the truth of who Jesus is. And the fact that he holds all things together with the power of his spoken word. And he does it effortlessly. I believe that all of creation, this is me, I believe all creation was created in six literal days. That's what I believe. And God did it without a sweat, effortlessly. He just spoke it. As easy as how many times that you have even blinked your eyes in here this morning without even realizing it, that was God just creating the entire universe, everything, including our lives, and sustaining our lives. We can trust him to do what he said he's going to do. We can trust him that he's going to take care of us. Right? Here's fake news. God is going to give you, God is never going to give you what you can't handle. That is fake news. 
God will always give you everything that you can't handle because he's the one that handles it for us. The Apostle Paul said it so clearly when he begged God, Lord, Lord, please take the thorn out of my flesh. Now, we don't even know what that was. Was it malaria from his eyes from during the time of his conversion in the book of Acts? Maybe. Maybe he had, maybe there was a lust for women he had. Maybe he was so overwhelmed that he had killed so many Christians, but something was going through his mind that he couldn't, he felt he could not do ministry effective. And something was weighing him down. Like you, there's something weighing you down as well. And some of you may be saying, Lord, would you take this thorn out of my flesh? And God is saying, not that I can't do it, but I won't do it. Well, why not? Because God says that my power is perfected in your weakness. It's through your weakness that my power is displayed amongst everyone you come in contact with. So when something's not really going right in life for you, just like the Apostle Paul writing in chapter 1, we don't even know that he's in prison until you get down to around verse 7 or 8. I'm in these chains. At the end of the letter he says, remember my chains. What are your chains right now? How is, how is God being manifested in your life? I'm begging you, church, this is a plea not for us to take this information and just hide it. And then, or whether it's the Jehovah Witnesses that come to the house or some other cult and they come knocking on that door and all of a sudden we go, shut the lights off. <laughs> oh, don't do that. I, listen, if you're in a position right now where you really don't feel confident enough to do that, that's okay. But here's true news. They need love too. What about family members in which you've heard them say something to you? Oh, how's your Jesus doing? Oh, at the, Christ, the Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner. Oh, God, they're all going to come here. They're going to make fun of me again. What am I going to do? What am I going to say? And that's why Paul prays for the church to receive a knowledge of God's will, a spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you can share that with others. Right? The book of Hebrews makes something very clear. There's a time when we became a Christian that we were on the milk bottle. But the author to the letter says, you got to get off the milk bottle and you got to begin to eat meat. Well, how do you do that? Well, you got to begin to go where there's food. And where the food is for us is right here. Read God's word. It's a love letter written from him to you, telling you about himself, how much he hates sin, how much he loves you, and what he was willing to do for you. I think if God the Father was to walk through these doors right now, he'd say, I gave this for you. It's all for you. But you better trust my son, and you better love him with everything that you got. I know you're going to fail sometimes. I got that covered. I killed my son for that. Not just for the, for the sins that you did, but the ones that you're going to do this afternoon, the ones that were already committed in your mind during this church service. Amen? And the ones that you're going to do later on when you leave, as well as tomorrow and next week. And God says, I've got that covered. I, I, it's done. It's finished. One of our biggest problems is that we have an adversary. We have a devil. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, there's an evil one prowling around all the time trying to whisper fake news into your minds. 
telling you that you're not good enough. Or that, oh, you're doing that same sin again. Or you think God's really going to love you. Come on. You're here again. Listen, every one of us have something, right? Like this ball and chain. Every one of us. There's a sin inside every one of us in which we do not want the world to know. I know it. I have one. And so do you. And it's the one you just thought of. I get that. But God is saying, I've got it covered. But do you trust me? And are you going to believe the good news that I gave? And that's where Paul is writing. Don't believe those false teachers. Believe the news, the gospel that I heard from Jesus Christ himself. He came in this world. He died. He was risen on the third day. And the same power that raised him from the dead is going to raise you from the dead. That's the Jesus we want to follow. I want to close out with one illustration. I'm going to read it word for word by Jerry Bridges. And then we'll pray. As that adversary is roaming around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, sometimes that we will look at the word devour, meaning that either a major um, catastrophic, catastrophic event must have come into our life in order for that scripture to be fulfilled. I beg to differ. When the devil comes in to devour you, he does it in such subtle ways sometimes. One thing here, one thing here, one thing there, over here, and the next thing you know it, it's down. It's down. And you keep going down and down and down. Before you know it, you're up to quicksand up to your neck. And that's where Jesus is there with his arms, reaching for you, pulling you out. But that's the devil. That's where he would keep you. We have to be a people who trust in the Word of God. We have to be a people whose lives are commanded to be filled with a joy and knowing that we've been forgiven and to love others unconditionally so that we would be the fragrance, the beautiful aroma of Christ to everyone that we come encounter with. Hear these words from Jerry Bridges. It's headed, Our sins hurled away. From Romans chapter 6, verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you. In Micah 7.19, we find another powerful metaphor of how God deals with our sin through Jesus Christ. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. The picture is of God vigorously disposing of our sins by hurling them overboard. He doesn't just drop them over the side. He hurls them over as something to be rid of and forgotten. God is eager to cast away our sins Because the sacrifice of his son is of such infinite value, he delights to apply it to sinful men and women. God is not a reluctant forgiver, but a joyous one. His justice having been satisfied and his wrath having been exhausted, he's now eager to extend his forgiveness to all who trust in his son as their propitiatory sacrifice. What a picture of the way God treats our sins. He hurls them overboard. And then as Corey Ten Boom, a dear saint of the last century, used to say, God puts up a sign saying, no fishing allowed. She knew that we tend to drag up our old sins, that we tend to live under a vague sense of guilt. She knew we weren't nearly as vigorous in appropriating God's forgiveness as he is in extending it. Consequently, instead of living in the sunshine of God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ, we tend to live under an overcast sky of guilt most of the time. 
This is why God gave the Jews the picture of the scapegoat in Leviticus chapter 16, symbolically bearing away their sins. In addition to being a picture of what Jesus would do at the cross, it was an assurance to the Israelites that God had indeed honored the sacrifice of the slain goat and had put away their sins. What Paul was reminding that church is that the God of the Old Testament has now come in the form of a man for you to see what complete love looks like. Brace upon that church. Believe in that news. Not the fake news that's going to tear us down. And read your scripture. For this is God's most beautiful way of revealing himself to us. Not based upon our emotions. God cannot be who we want him to be. A genie in a bottle, open up the cork, pull him out when we want to. God said, I am the God, I am the creator. All things are made through me. I sustain all things by the power of my spoken word. I've granted forgiveness for those who trust in my son. And forevermore, you'll be in my presence. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you, almighty God. Lord, help us to see that very thing today. Help us to see the truth of who Christ is and always will be. Lord, help us to not get hung up on our sins. Help us to believe the real news of who Jesus is. And the real news is that he forgives and he loves unconditionally. And Lord, in those moments when the devil would try to create inside of us a mindset that we're not worthy, which he does speak truth, but we were made worthy by the death of Jesus. And now, according to the book of Romans, you see us with eyes of righteousness. Lord, help us to grow from that today, please. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please rise? Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.